Have you ever had a problem that you tried to fix only to realize you couldn't? Like, like you know there's a problem. You know it needs to be fixed, but you're just not sure how to do it. Yeah, you can admit it all day long. You can admit that problem all day long, but that's not going to change anything. It has to be fixed. About seven, eight, nine years ago, I'm not, I'm not sure anymore, um, I, was, uh, I was at my parents' house, a nice Thanksgiving day. You know, the family's there. It's 80 degrees outside, um, and uh, you know, you smell the turkey in there. You can smell the homemade bread. My aunt and uncle and my cousins were down from Atlanta, and we're all just kind of hanging out. There's football and the, and the parade going on in the background. And my mom said she needed help with a problem. She needed me to, to fix something. She said, I got everything. It's, uh, I got everything from Home Depot, and you just have to go do it. And what it was was, a, was fixing the supply line on a toilet that's upstairs. You may be asking, why did she ask you to fix a toilet, Ryan? Well, here's why. After high school, um, I, had, uh, I had decided to switch jobs. See, I'd worked at Publix for two years. And uh, if you've worked at Publix, you know that their motto is shopping is a pleasure. But working there is not a pleasure. Working there is terrible. And uh, you're bagging people's groceries. You're like, oh, you want paper? Okay, you want plastic? You want paper inside of plastic, inside of paper, inside of plastic? And, and, and it just gets old, and you do things. You're not allowed to take tips, and you don't get paid much. And it's just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I know I was going to FSU in the fall. And uh, so I had three months. And I thought, I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm going to do something where I make a little bit more money that's a little bit, little bit better. And, and so... In my bright 17-year-old mind, I decided that that better job was to work for the summer as a plumber. Very quickly, I realized, well, being a plumber in Jacksonville in the middle of the summer isn't the most fun thing. I spent the whole summer in these empty houses that were being built, installing toilets and sinks and doing piping and digging ditches. And, and yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. The reason I took the job was because my life group leader, when I was in this ministry, his name is Greg Goss. Um, we called him Big G um, because he's big and his name begins with a G. So we called him Big G and he, he had just started a plumbing company. He said, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll hire you. You can spend the next few months working for me. And so over that summer, I, I learned some stuff and, uh, and, 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 uh, and learned how to do some things and um, and so fast forward seven years, mom says, hey, can you fix the toilet? Remembering that I had worked for a plumbing company. It's a very simple little fix. You just put a supply line in. And, and I had seen them do it a bunch of times. And I had done it before. And, and every time they would do it, um, now they have these like really cool like, uh, like little hose things that can be long or short or whatever, and they, and, they, and they can change depending on what you need. But at the time, they would use this, this plastic little piece. And if you cut it too short, then you just had to throw it away because it was no longer good. It wouldn't reach the toilet. Um, and, and, and basically, the whole deal is there's this little valve in the wall, and it allows water to go up into the toilet bowl to re- replace the stuff that just got flushed out, you know? So, um, 
So, so I have uh, this, this piece of plastic, and I, and I remember very vividly them saying, you don't want to cut it too short. You don't want to cut it too short. You want to cut it a little bit longer so that it will reach once it kind of settles down into the groove of the water supply line. And every time I would watch them do it, they would kind of push down on the supply line to get it to fit. But they'd, they'd push down on the, on the little the valve in the wall to get it to fit. And every time I would think, what if it breaks? And they would always say, no, 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 Ryan, it doesn't break. Yeah, you could push it. It's got some give. It's, it's PVC. It's got some give. You can push down on it. And so as I sit there at the toilet, I've got, got it in my hand. I've turned off the valve, and, and I'm sitting there about to put the supply line in. I, I remember cutting it, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to cut it too short. Got to have a little bit of extra length. And as I start pushing down, it snaps. I hear this crack. It just snaps in my hand. And all of a sudden, water immediately just starts shooting up into the wall. See, it broke in the wall. So it wasn't coming out into the bathroom. It was shooting up into the wall. See, what they hadn't told me over those years is that over time, PVC becomes brittle. And it no longer has give. And it might just crack. And immediately, what do I do? I stuck my hand over it to stop the water. I tried to put my finger into the pipe to stop the water. But if you don't know anything about modern-day plumbing, um, or just plumbing in general, uh, it's a very terrifying thing. Like, this is terrifying. We have these pipes, and in them is water that is very, very uh, pressurized, I guess would be the word. Like, it, it, is, it, it has the ability to just shoot out at any time. And the only reason it doesn't is because it stays in the pipes. And when you pull that valve or you turn on that shower and it starts coming out really hard, it's because it's got this high level of water pressure that's just waiting to be released at all times. And this is why like a crack could just destroy your house because you can't stop it. It's, it's just spewing out. And this is what's going on. And I immediately try to put my hand over it, but th- that didn't do anything. And it's like, I didn't, wanna, I didn't want to panic too much, but I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh. And so I go downstairs, kind of like, like quick, and I'm kind of jogging downstairs. I'm like, hey mom, uh, yeah, she's, she's kind of doing the turkey and all that. Mom, uh, we, we kind of have a problem. No big deal, no big deal, but uh, there was a crack uh, in the pipe, and it's broken, and there's, and there's water. She's like, what do you mean? Where's it going? I'm like, eh, it's kind of shooting. We, we really need to get it stopped. So she runs upstairs and she sees it and she comes down. And she's just like, tears are coming down her face. And she's like, oh, my house, my house is going to be destroyed. And she's like going crazy. And so I start like hyperventilating. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it really is. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the house. And how many people know the law of gravity? What goes up must come down. Remember, this is on the second story. And so I look up and the water is starting to come down through electrical sockets and light outlets. How many people know electricity doesn't mix with water? So I'm like, oh boy. And and now the water is starting to sit on top of the the sheetrock that's on our ceiling. And eventually it will break. It'll get soggy and it will just break. And so I'm worried like the whole house is about to come down. Like this is bad. And so we go out to the road where there is a um, shutoff valve from the street. And if you turn it off, it, it stops the water. So we run out there and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like clean. It's Thanksgiving. I want to be nice. And, and, and I'm like, yeah. And we open it up and it's just covered in dirt. A lot of times these things just are, are covered in dirt. And so mom like just starts 
going crazy. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to get dirty. And she's like, you got to help. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm just like covered in dirt now. And I'm just like sticking my fingernails down in there. I'm trying to get this dirt out. And we finally get down to the little shutoff valve. And there's this big uh, kind of key thing, rebar thing that a lot of people have, that plumbers have to turn it on and off. We didn't have that. So we start going into the garage and we have like five tools in the garage and we're trying to get wrenches and hammers and, and all this stuff. And we're trying to hammer it shut. And we just can't get it. And it takes a lot longer than it should have taken. And finally we turn it off and we go back in the house and we're grabbing every single towel, every single sheet in the house and we are sopping up the water. It's like, it's like we're on a sinking ship. We're taking uh, cups and we're just taking buckets and we're taking the water and putting it into the sink where it belongs and, and we're trying to clean this place up. And my parents have hardwood floors and it's like ruining them and, and the water um, has stopped, but it's everywhere. And we set um, at Thanksgiving dinner that night with a bunch of fans going on in our house, with insurance guys going around trying to dry out our house, barely even being able to talk over the sound of the fans. And I, and I think back to that moment when the, when the problem first happened. What did I do? I tried to stop it myself. I tried to put my hand over it, to stick my finger into it, to hopefully stop the water. But nothing was going to be fixed until the water was stopped from the road. See, I wasn't going to be able to take an outside force and stop that water and hold that water into the pipe now that it was broken. And last night, we, we established we all have this sin problem. Whether we're Christians or not, no matter what we've done in our lives, we all have this sin problem. We've all messed And, and what do we do to fix this problem? We may admit we have a problem, but we've got to fix it. What do we do to fix it? Well, a lot of times what we do is we try to fix it from the outside. Like I tried to do. We try to plug our finger. We try to put our hand over it and stop the flow of the water and stop the sin from the outside. When really something needs to be done on the inside. So I came up with four ways that we try to fix our sin problem. How do we try to fix our sin problem? The first thing we do is we pretend it's not that bad. Oh, yeah, 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 that. Not that big of a deal. No, no, it's not that bad. Yeah, you know, I mess up every once in a while, but I'm mostly good. It's not, it's not that bad. And it's like, it would, it would be like getting a little cut on your leg. See, uh, the guy drawn behind me, that's Max. He's my brother-in-law. And he, a few years ago, had a, had a bug bite that got infected by like a skin-eating disease called MRSA. And, and if he had not fixed it, it could have eaten up his entire leg. He might have had to lose his leg. It happens to people. And imagine you get a bug bite or you get a scratch and it's no big deal. Kind of put a Band-Aid on it. But the next day it starts having heat coming off of it and it's, it, it's, it's swelling up and it hurts. Maybe some stuff's oozing out of it and you're like, oh, it's infected. Maybe I should put some, some Neosporin on it and you put, put another bandage on it. And you keep on doing that. But after a week, it's still there and it's getting worse. And you realize, oh my gosh, like this is, this is really bad. But uh, you know what? I'm going to pretend it's okay. Oh, it's not that bad. And you put a really nice white piece of gauze over it. And you can maybe walk without a limp. And no one even really knows any different. 
And you can pretend it's okay, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. I'll clean it out every once in a while. But sometimes that cut gets past the point where cleaning is going to fix it, where a, where a white bandage is going to fix it. So you can pretend it's not that bad. But inside of that bandage, it is eating you alive. You're dying. It's a problem. And it has to be fixed. And it's not going to be fixed with a Band-Aid. And pretending something isn't that bad doesn't make it real. That's why we call it make-believe. So the first thing we try to do is we try to pretend it's not that bad. The second thing we try to do is we try to do good things to outweigh the bad. We try to do good things to outweigh the bad. I had this friend in college named Kaysen, and uh, Kaysen had a really deep voice. Whenever I do impressions of him, I, I try to mimic his voice. He's got this kind of monotone voice like, hey guys, what's up? And like he never really gets excited about anything. And like you'd be talking to him and, and you, he would be talking about something that was exciting, but like he would be talking about it in a monotone, sad way. And he'd be like, are you happy? Or like, what's going on? I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I met a girl today. Do you like her? I mean, yeah. You gonna go on a date? Yeah, I asked her out. Did she say yes? Yeah. Cool, man, congrats. I mean, it's whatever. How was your football game tonight? Oh, I mean, we won the championship. So that's awesome. I mean, they didn't throw me the ball. They don't know what they're doing. Didn't you say you won the championship? Yeah, but it's whatever. Like, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. And he would always be kind of like negative about stuff. Um, but my friend Kaysen, he, he, was a, he, he is a Christian. And, uh, but he had this kind of joke. Um, at least I think it was a joke. Um, but it was kind of this joke that he called his point system. So if he went to church, he'd be like, oh, I went to church today, plus 1,000. But uh, got drunk last night, so uh, minus 400. But it's okay because I uh, did my quiet time, and uh, that's plus 300, so doing pretty good. Uh, but cussed out my roommate, so minus 250. And, uh, you know, skipped class today. That's minus 80. So, uh, And it was like this, this running joke of, like, could he have enough points to outweigh the negative points? Could he do enough good to outweigh the bad? And he may have been joking about it, but there are a lot of people, including a lot of people in this room, including myself, that a lot of times we, we live by this. At least at, at times in our life, we live by this idea. Man, man, I've done a lot of bad things. I know, I know, but I'm going to fix them by doing good things. That, the problem is, that doesn't address the problem, does it? doesn't address the issue, the sin problem, the bad. It just means you're going and, and doing good. The third thing we do is we try to use our willpower. Our willpower. Our willpower is just like trying really hard not to do something. Next time I'll try harder. Next time I'll do better. Next time I won't give in. But it can't really last. It's actually kind of like a dog, a dog that, that wants a treat, but you, you, you teach it not to eat the treat. You ever seen this? We're, we're going to show you a video of a dog that has a treat, and it wants the treat, but it's being told not to eat the treat. So, so a lot of times that's us. 
Like we're looking at the sin and we really want it. We, we want it so bad. We're like the dog, we're drooling. We're so excited, but like we know, well, I'm not supposed to take it. And we're like fighting ourselves to not commit that sin, to not do that thing or, or, or to, 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 whether we or not we should do a good thing. Like we're, we're like, we're like, oh, like, oh, like, like I want to do it, but I kind of don't want to do it. And we're just going back and forth. And here's the thing about willpower. It can work once. It can work twice. It can work for a month. It can work for six months. If you try really, really hard, maybe it lasts even longer. But the thing about willpower is it's not sustainable. This is why an alcoholic shouldn't hang out at a bar. They might be able to willpower their way through it, but the likelihood is they're just putting themselves in a situation to fail. So we can't just use our willpower, but that's what we try to do. Here's the fourth thing that we try to do. We use outside forces like accountability and boundaries to help us stop. We use outside forces like accountability and boundaries to help us Stop. Now, here's the thing about accountability and boundaries. I am for them. They are great. I've used them, and I've used them successfully. But they're outside forces. It's like me trying to hold my hand over the water coming in. It's an outside force, but what needs to be handled is an inside situation. It's an inside job. We can't just fix it on the outside. Let, let, let's imagine you have, uh, and, and the statistics say this is, this is probably most of us at some point in our lives in this room. Let's say you have some type of problem looking at pornography, wherever it is, uh, on the internet, phone, whatever. If you have that, that, that issue, you can, get the, you can get the software on your computer, which is great. You can, get, uh, you can draw boundaries. You can tell an accountability partner, I'm going to call you every time I'm tempted. You can, you can leave your computer and your phone in public spaces and never take it into your room. You can even tell your parents, I need you to hold me accountable. Like, I can't control myself. Like, keep this locked away in your room. Like, you could do some extravagant things. But how many people know that if we really want something, we're going to get it? If we really want to do something, it doesn't matter what we have to get through, what obstacles we have to get through. Eventually, we are going to go and get it. See, three out of these four things are good. They're good things. They can help, but they don't fix the problem. And we talked about Romans 3.23 last night. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about what the target is. What, 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 we've missed the mark, but what's the target? The target is God's glory. What is his glory? It's his holiness, his perfectness, his blamelessness, the fact that he is set apart from all people and all creations. That's our mark, and we have not hit it. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how good you are with like the sins that everyone notices. We all have fallen short of his holiness. And once we mess up, we can't get back to perfection. No matter what we do, we can't get back to perfection. Doesn't matter how many good things, doesn't matter how good you are, how long you are good, no matter what we do, we can't get back to perfection. If you play baseball or you're a fan of baseball, you know this. You know this, right? Because if you are the best player in the league and you get up the first game of the, uh, the first at bat of the first game and you strike out, you could get hits in the next 999 at bats. You could be the best baseball player in the country. And guess what? You'll never have a perfect batting, perfect batting average ever again. Yeah, you could be better than everybody else, but you still can't be perfect. Because once we've messed up once, one time, for all you people that think, oh, I'm good, I'm good. One time, one time, 
You've messed up one time. You can't get back to holiness. You can't get back to God's glory. You can't get back to perfection. And we use something that, that, that is called sin management. And it's very simple. It's, it's managing your sin. It's when we try to stop sinning. We love sin management, especially at church. Here's, here's 10 ways to stop doing this. Here's five ways to start doing this. Here's, here's a Bible study that will help you with like everything. We have these Bible apps on our phone, and they're good, but they have these like quiet times. It's like, if you read these verses in five days, you'll stop doing this. And it's like, eh, not really. Like, like we love to manage our sins. Here's the problem, actually three problems with managing our sins. One, it doesn't save the non-Christian. This is a real big problem in church. Like we try to get uh, Christians or non-Christians, people that don't believe what we believe, to start acting good. Oh man, you know, you really, you really should stop cussing. You really should stop being mean. You should, you should, you should start doing your homework. Uh, I think you need to treat your parents better. Yeah, you're gossiping a little bit. It's kind of kind of messing up things. Like you got this temper issue, and you're always you're always fighting people. Here's the thing: our non-Christian friends can do all the things we tell them to do and manage their sins. And guess what? They're still not saved. They still don't know Jesus. So why do we tell them something that's not going to fix them in the first place? Sin management doesn't save anybody. It doesn't save the non-Christian. Here's the second thing. It doesn't make the Christian any more saved. I don't care how good your sin management is. You're not going to be any more saved than you were when you gave your life to Christ. This is how we imagine it. It's like, God's like, Billy, come here. I got to tell you, I'm impressed. You've done great. This sin management pr- program that you're on right now, love what you're doing there. And I've been thinking, you know, 10 years ago, you gave your life to Christ at a camp, and, and you needed it then. But, Billy, I mean, you have, like, you've cut out everything. Like, you're not looking at porn. You're not cussing. You're, you're getting good grades. You're listening to your parents. You're not having sex with your girlfriend. You're not smoking. Like, you're doing everything right. You're doing awesome, man. Proud of you, man. You don't know, you don't need Jesus anymore. I'm just going to remove that because you've earned it, slugger. You're all right. It's all good. You don't need me. You don't need Jesus. You're good. You've managed your way to heaven. No. Like, we don't get sin managed any, into heaven. Like, we don't become more saved because we become better. That's the gospel. Like, because we were, or while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead, he made us alive. Like, that's what the gospel is. It's not that we can earn anything on ourselves or on our own power. So it doesn't make the Christian any more saved. And here's, here's the third thing. It doesn't have anything to do with the heart. It's an outside force, and what we need is an inside job. We need something to change us on the inside, not on the outside. Sin management, it can work for a little bit, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix the problem. Here's the point of today. Stop trying to fix yourself. I'll even go this far. Stop trying not to sin. I know that sounds like, oh my gosh, like what, what he's telling us to just go sin. No, I'm not saying that. But stop trying on your own efforts to just, oh, I'm just going to stop sinning. I'm going to be better, man. After Epworth, that's going to get me through. I'm going to just be good for the rest of my life. I'm just going to be better. That, oh, oh man, they sing the praise is yours. And I just, I, I just changed. And I was just better forever because I tried harder. Because I fixed myself. Because Epworth carried me through the rest of my life. We all know that's not true. We all know that doesn't work. 
We have to stop trying to fix our sin. We have to stop trying to fix ourselves. Now we're going to get to Luke 18. Luke 18, 18 through 27. We have a guy that approaches Jesus, that approaches Jesus, and he is trying to fix himself. He is trying to fix himself. Luke 18, verse 18. In other scriptures, it calls him a rich, young ruler. That's the description we get of him. And here's what he says. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You may ask, Ryan, how do you know he was trying to do sin management? It doesn't say that there. I want you to write in your Bible, and I want you to take a pen, and I want you to circle the word do. Circle the word do. Take it right now. Do it right now. If you have a Bible in front of you, circle the word do. Here's what he's saying. Teacher. What can I do? What are my action steps? How can I be better? What can I do to manage my sin? What can I do to inherit eternal life? How can I save myself? How can I save myself? What must I do? And Jesus, and this is so important for what we're talking about this weekend, and even what we talked about last night. Why do you call me good? That's his first question. He doesn't, answer, he doesn't answer the question at first. He just starts with that question. Why, why are you calling me good? And then he continues to explain himself. He says, no one is good except God alone. Except God alone. So here's what he's saying. This is something we talked about recently. He's saying this. I'm either God or I'm nothing. If you call me good, then you're calling me God. But if you don't think I'm God, then don't even call me good because I'm nothing if I'm not good. And I'm nothing if I'm not God. I'm either all or nothing. Furthermore, he's saying, you're not good. None of these people standing around us is good. Only God is good. And they may not have realized it in the moment, but that's what he's saying. No one's good. We all have a problem. We're all disappointed in ourselves. We've all gone and missed the mark. But then he, he addresses it. He says, you know the commandments. And he just mentions a few. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And then self-righteous, rich, young ruler says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Like, so self-righteous. You can imagine, like, he walked up with his posse because he's a rich, young ruler. And he's like, come on, Brad and Chad, I'm perfect. Like, <laughs> I've kept this since I was a boy. All these. Like, he starts talking like he's like a British guy. Like, all these I have kept since I was a boy, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. He's like, Okay, all right. You kept them all since you were a boy. And he starts with the first commandment. It doesn't say that here, but this is what he's gonna do. He starts with this commandment. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, I'm gonna test you. You've kept all these commandments since you were a boy, rich young ruler. Well, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. See, a lot of people read this and they think it's about money. It's not about money. They think it's about we shouldn't be rich. It's not about being rich. Jesus never said that that this man was messed up because of his money. See, this is what he knew. He knew this man had a God before God. And this man's God was his money and his stuff. And so he quizzes him on the first commandment. Oh, you've kept all the commandments since you were a boy, have you? Let's start with number one, rich young ruler. Sell your stuff. Get rid of your stuff. Come follow me. And the guy's like, gosh. And he fails the test. On the very first commandment, he can't even keep one commandment. Self-righteous boy, all these I've kept since I was a boy, walks away. 
because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then everybody around is like, well, what about us, Jesus? Like, if he can't do it, how are we supposed to do it? And they all say, well, who can be saved? Like, if he can't do it, and he said he kept all the commandments, and he seemed good, and he has power, and he has money, and we're just like commoners. We're like nobodies. How are we supposed to get saved if he can't even get saved? And Jesus has this amazing line that's so simple yet so important. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm going to say it again. What is impossible with man, what we can't fix, what we can't change, what we can't sin manage, is possible with God. See, all these people were discouraged. And Jesus says, y'all don't need to worry. It's not about you. It may be impossible for you. You're right. But it's possible with God. He was telling them good news. Actually, they they were feeling discouraged. And he was saying, no, 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 no. This is good. This is great news. You don't need yourself. You need God. It's all things possible through God. Here's the truth. Our hearts must be transformed by God. Our hearts must be transformed by God. This is an inside job. This isn't something we can fix on the outside. We can't plug the pipe with our finger. We've got to stop the flow of the water. We've got to stop the sin in our lives. We've got to have an inside job, and it can only be done by God. I'm going to take you to an Old Testament scripture, and we're going to close with this. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. A lot of y'all have never even heard of this book. Old Testament prophet, written 700 years before Jesus came along. 700 years. 700 years, and he's speaking on God's behalf, and he's saying, this is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. What's what's amazing about the Bible is like 700 years ago, a lot of people say, oh, the Old Testament's different. No, no, no. This verse was written 700 years before Jesus, and then all of a sudden, everything after Jesus matched this verse. He's talking about this new kingdom. He says this, I will give you a new, what's that word? Heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone or sin and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit. Notice that that second spirit is capitalized. There's a reason it's capitalized. He's referring to the Holy Spirit that Jesus would not even bring about for 700 more years until after he left the earth and he he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to leave a friend. I'm going to leave a comfort. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit who's going to live inside of you. He said, I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you. It's impossible with us, but it's possible with God. He says, I will move you. From where? How are you, you going to move us? From the inside. You're not going to manage your sin. You're not going to run around like, oh, I got to fix this sin. I got to fix this sin. I got to fix this sin. I'm like, what am I? Oh, I forgot about this one. I got I to gotta fix that one. I, oh, I got better at that, but now I'm messing up. And you're running around frantic, sweating, and just like, oh. And you gotta give up. That's what, that's what it looks like when we leave Epworth most of the time. That's what it looks like when we leave a mission trip or we leave a United. Oh, okay, I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to get my house in order. I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to fix everything. And then we're like, two days later, we're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. He says, 
I'm going to put a spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We have to let him do the work. Christians, we have to let him do the work. People that don't know Jesus, we have to let him do the work. See, it's not about us. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And our lives won't change until God deals with our hearts. Until we start allowing him to do an inside job, to transform us from the inside, to transform our hearts, to allow him to move us where we should go and guide us where we should go. Tonight, we're going to look at two guys, a chapter later, that had a different encounter with Jesus than the rich young ruler. Maybe days or, or, or hours after he encounters this rich young ruler, he encounters two men who are transformed by him. And we're going to look at the difference, and we're going to look at what it means to be transformed by God and how that differs from when we try to just fix ourselves. Our message to you today is stop trying to fix yourself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. I pray that we will leave just thinking about this one thing. Stop trying to fix ourselves. Stop trying harder. Stop trying to do it all on my own. Lord, we need you. And as we go throughout this day and we're playing football and hanging out with our friends and, and maybe our minds are a million miles from this room and from what you said this morning, I pray that you'd be working on our hearts, that you'd be dealing with us. Hey, you need to stop trying. Maybe we're out at the field and we realize we're gossiping and, 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 and all of a sudden we're like, oh, I gotta stop that, I gotta stop that. And you just say, stop trying. Let me deal with it. But help us be reminded constantly for the next eight hours to stop trying. We need you, Lord. In your name we pray.